Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast today. This is episode number 312, and the format's a bit different than normal. Uh, in this episode, we are sharing a conversation that Steve and I had with Cody and Trent from Born and Raised Outdoors. As you guys may recall, we did a series of podcasts with Cody and Trent for Elk Week this past August. In this episode, they kind of flipped the script and Cody and Trent interview Steve and I. We hit a bunch of topics. We talk a lot about rifle hunting versus bow hunting, how being a bow hunter helps you be a better rifle hunter, what is the topics and things that we have learned in our interest of rifles over the years, including things like extending your range, reloading, and much more. We also talk uh, about some random topics, including dream hunts, and there's just a ton packed in this conversation with Cody and Trent from Born and Raised Outdoors. This episode did air recently on their podcast, The Born and Raised Audio Experience. If you guys aren't subscribing to that, be sure to look it up in your podcast app, hit subscribe, and check it out. They just recently released another episode with Steve and I where we talk about how to get started backpacking and backpack hunting. So if that's something you'd be interested in, go check out The Born and Raised Audio Experience in your podcast app. But right now, let's dive into this conversation about bows versus rifles for elk hunting and a lot more. So, EXO guys, they're in town, and uh, we got Mark and Steve with us from EXO, EXO, Mountain Gear. And today, we're just going to go over some different topics. So, we, 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 we've talked to elk for what? Five podcasts straight now? Yeah, we've six. talked to elk for five, six. So, I say we seven. talk elk. <laughs> or something of that nature. I mean, we'll get some variety in there. Yeah, let's go for a dozen. No, but um, so just in the recent years, as a lot of people know that maybe listen to us or follow our stuff, I've been kind of getting not away from bow hunting, but into rifle hunting as well. Steve, you have a rifle hunt that you did this last Same year. Same story, man. I mean, I, for from 18 until 34 years old, I didn't even own a rifle. Like, what? I did not own a rifle. I had a pistol, had a shot, had shotguns, but I did not, I just didn't. Rifle hunt, period. Didn't want to become and I never, and I didn't like when I was 18. Is when I started getting in, like, quote unquote, into hunting, right? I mean, I did it from as a as a teenager, but very casually, right? With the the one trip a year, we'd walk around the deer woods and not kill anything. Um, so from when I started taking hunting serious, I just was 18 and never had a rifle. And wow. uh, so yeah, it, a few years back, but picked up a rifle and it's been fun. I, for a lot of years, I probably looked down on rifle hunters, like, ah, that's too easy, whatever, you know. <laughs> And it's, it's been fun and, and killing an animal. I mean, I can say it's the same level of excitement as a screaming bull coming running into 10 yards, be. but it's, it can be. I mean, it, I've had fun. I'll just put it that way. Cool. Cool. And Cody, in the last little bit too, like blacktail hunting, you'd never really hunted with a rifle until this last No, yeah. Short so while. when I was 12 years old, I had a, was the last time I had a blacktail rifle deer tag in Oregon. And that was because my birthday was in October and I couldn't bow hunt that first year. And then, yeah, at the age of 38, I got a rifle tag again for the first time for deer, and it was awesome. I had a great experience, and it was, you know, and that was even, I think, for me, that was a solo hunt, so it was like, you know, when I actually killed one, it was it was just, instead of a group, which I love group hunting, don't get me wrong, but like, something about having a gun in your hands and like, you're just making all the decisions focused on what's going on. It was, it was really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a whole different 
and we talked about this in some earlier podcasts as far as it's a it's a whole different skill level right and, and i'm not saying we've got the bow hunting thing figured out by any means but at the same time it's just a different thing that you different can challenge yeah. yeah and it's been a blast i've enjoyed it um just getting into it the last few years and heavier and heavier and then kind of going kind of dabbling in the long range stuff and having fun with that and then kind of pressing your 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 outreach on your bullet is so much fun and it's it just shooting steel like trevor and i will go out and we'll just you know shoot at steel and i he did it years ago and i'm like yeah that sounds like a lot of fun right and anyway then i went out and it was it's a blast dude just smacking and actually aiming at something you know a 10 inch whatever plate at six eight hundred yards and and actually executing that shot is pretty fun i mean it's it's something that's really gratifying but let's get back to the hunting side of things it's like what is what has changed like mark let's actually what what is your yeah i mean the entry in the rifle side of things yeah i grew up you know in midwest right from missouri so um rifle hunted growing up for whitetails but everything there was you know essentially where i hunt in southern missouri is kind of big woods so it's a lot of like you know hunt with grandpa's lever action 30 30 right even rifle hunting it's you're shooting them anywhere from 10 to 70 yards most commonly. Like I've probably killed more white tails at 30, 40 yards with a rifle than anything. So do you guys have to do the shotgun thing or not? You can use... We don't. You yeah, don't. there's bordering states you know what I'm like talking about, right? Illinois. Um, okay. It's just so much more open. Um, in Illinois, they don't do rifles at all. It's shotgun only. It's illegal. There's several states in the Midwest that are like that, but Missouri's oh, wow. full rifle. Um, and then, yeah, last year, Steve and I together uh, was the first elk hunt with a rifle. So when I started hunting elk it was archery only and had only uh, done elk specifically with archery um had you know in 2019 did caribou and sick of blacktail and some you know other kind of western type hunts with a rifle but not elk up until last year so tell me like run me through real quick a normal archery season preparation and a normal rifle season preparation just in the weapon just in the weapon steve um, I mean, there's no doubt that a, a bow takes more practice, especially if you're new to the sport, right? Like, just, there's a lot going on with a bow. Um, you just put your pin on it and pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> right? Sounds uh, like a rifle yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> you just pull the trigger. You just yeah. put your pin on it. Uh, to me, there's just a lot. It just, you know, you, you can't. I could hand a, a sighted in rifle to a guy and he could go kill an elk tomorrow. You can't do that with a bow, right? Correct. Uh, and you could probably, you know, not shoot a rifle for a year and go out and execute a really good shot at 500 yards with a bow. That's going to be, you know, a 50 yard shot after not shooting for a year would be a feat. A, a, yeah, it'd be impressive. Yeah. Something yeah. you wouldn't want to do. You want to practice more. Um, but at the same time, I, I kind of had that, you know, in my head going into be sh- sighting and shooting and hunting with a rifle, but I still practice every bit as much as I do with a bow. Like it's, I, you know, Mark was just in Boise a month ago and we took off to the hills and set up steel target and not one shot was prone, right? I mean, we were shooting four, five, six, seven hundred yards, 700 yards. At, every shot was different angles and, and awesome. I got it a free was lunch, by the so way. much nice fun work. and yeah. learning how to call the wind. Or, uh, yeah, I forget what the scenario was. It was oh, a first shot. It was hit first it shot like, at like eight something. It was like, you're not going to hit it because it was windy. Like yeah. we were. At 10 to 15 mile an hour gusts and 800 yards. That's, that's a lot. Uh, yeah, he, he nailed that thing. What Drew guns it. are you shooting for uh, elk hunting? What caliber? Yeah, yeah. caliber. 
Yeah, I uh, last year on that uh, elk hunt, I was shooting a 30-06. Okay. Um, and then this over the past year, I built a 7 SOM. Nice. So that's what I'm going to take uh, this year for elk. I killed mine with a 6.5 PRC last year. Okay. And now I'm going back just to a Creedmoor. I'm pretty recoil sensitive, recoil pansy, and just going to pile some elk up with Creedmoor. 100%. Yeah. I think going back to prep, it's the, the barrier to entry to rifle is lower but you can also take it to that extreme level if you want to, right? Yeah, so I when you talk it. about the guy who, you know, compared to a guy who walks into a bow shop and he has someone set up his bow for him, mm -hmm. that's one bow hunter. The other bow hunter is doing all the setup himself and he's tinkering with, you know, different fletching configurations and testing spine and doing all types of tuning. Like there's that deeper level in archery guy and it's the same thing with a rifle. You can hand a sighted end a rifle to someone and they can execute, or you can go off the deep end and start reloading and doing all that. A hundred percent. Which yeah. I've done. So to me, rifle prep could be way easier, but back to what Steve said, yeah. it hasn't necessarily been. Like I still put in as much work, if not more work for a rifle hunt, just because I am doing load development and all different things like that. That's awesome. And I think, I think that's that style or that's that side of things. It's like, the rewarding side, like you said, a bow hunt's so much more rewarding because I practice all season coming in. Yeah, I mean, the whole bugling thing is a whole different deal, obviously. But it's the rifle thing is like getting close enough for the shot. And then, okay, is that in my effective range? Anybody can shoot, you know, but is that, can I hit that? And, and can I be accurate at this shot and everything? And that's what I've really enjoyed about it as far as like, it still presses you. It's still like, it's still one of those things where you still have to execute. Yeah, I'm still like very much excited about ready to pull the trigger. Oh yeah. Like, when the animal beating. goes down, it's a full on high five, yeah. hoot and holler in like, for some reason, I thought it wouldn't be that. Maybe. Oh, really? I don't know. Probably as a bow, when I was a bow hunter, like in kind of snobby towards rifle hunters, right? <laughs> like, uh, no, and I think, yeah. yeah, I mean, and you can have that approach uh, of like taking the same intensity level of thought process and hunting yes. of bow hunting into the sport of rifle hunting. Yep. And I think there's an advantage of a pre-existing, if you've only bow hunted your entire life, and then you pick up a rifle and, you know, extend your season. There's great opportunities that across the West where outside September you can go hunt with a, a rifle. And I think that's probably for me most intriguing instead of like being limited to that one month where you can hunt elk or big game or whatever that is. Now there's opportunities. I mean, all, plenty October yeah. and November into December in some states. Yeah, part, part of that for me was just having two little kids at home and it's like okay i can't just be gone all of september now but it's easier to be like one one week here one week here yeah. one week here spread out over three months right um yeah it's been fun i've had a lot of blast, like a blast doing it and diving into it and i, I didn't know how far off the deep end you could go oh um, man and into reloading and just you know, post something BC you'll know. And run it. Yeah. 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 yeah yeah it's just like we've bow hunted and it's like oh man this is awesome you guys you know every you know a lot of times what's your arrow grain you know what's the grain of your arrow what broadhead you're using you post one rifle video not doing it right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're shooting what yeah. oh man what grain are you using a powder and it's like what the heck they come out of the woodwork saying okay that's that's not enough gun for that animal and i mean it's just so much all over the board mm. on the rifle side of things yeah. what's your what's your take on the caliber per animal you know i i i wrestle with it i honestly do i i 
I like the Magnum, like for bigger for bigger game and stuff like that. I like like a 300 Win Mag or a 28 Nos or a bigger a, a bigger caliber. Um, I shot a I shot a bull in Wyoming with a 6.5 Creed, and I I mean I had four shots, you know, in a pie plate, and it didn't even fall over. I mean it just stood there and just kind of walked and stood there, and then it went down, and then it got back up again, stood there, walked, and it was just really. It just didn't seem like it had that punch to where it was just like hitting an animal so hard that it has that shock value, I guess. Okay. And and the bullets zipped right through. There was two just inside the the hide on the other side of the. You know, it, it did its job, no no doubt. And it was gonna and the animal died, you know, humanely and everything. But at the same time, it was like it didn't have that shock and awe. You know, we were we were practicing with steel here. Oh, it's been just this last bear season, Cody and a whole crew was. And um, anyway, we had our 308s, you know, and we were shooting our 308s out there. And we had a gong on just uh, on one of those stands, you know, and it was a 10-inch gong on a stand. And we were shooting it at 500 yards and, you know, it ping, and it would kind of sway and everything. And then my dad showed up and came up there and he he goes, oh, let's shoot this 28 nozzler at it, you know, and it nearly took the whole stand and not nearly yeah. just about knocked the whole gong around the stand i mean it just blew the whole it, thing almost it was over. like Night it, and it, day. it was like from a 22 to a you know i mean it, it just was night yeah. and day different we saw that when we were shooting like i had yeah. my psalm then and steve had the creed more and just yep. you see that energy on and you just yeah. think about that like i mean you can just kind of i can visualize it in my mind slow-mo when it hits the side of something and then all that shock wave of mm-hmm. devastation you know and so in my opinion, that's kind of what I want as far as that goes uh, on a bigger game animal. Um, but That'd be like a good band name for a metal band, Shockwave of Devastation. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> you you want to start a band? Yeah, I think so. We can do that. We can like do it. that, definitely. So, um, but anyway, yeah, so that's my, that's that's just my take. And yeah. is it right, wrong, or indifferent? Probably not. But, but it's just the bull you shot from the Creedmoor, I mean, the first shot, it would have died. It just correct. Didn't, it didn't go down as fast as you wanted. Right, to, right. right. And, and, and it's one of those things where it's like, I want to see him not suffer as little as possible, but have the best chance of recovery. Like mm-hmm. I make a, say I shot it in the guts with that or something of that nature, or maybe, maybe in the liver, you know, um, and it didn't just, just hammer it and just, you know, really do damage to the whole inside of it. And, and it just poked a hole through that. Then, you know, are you, are you, um, are you um, tracking that thing, you know, for miles or what, what happens there? So, so I don't know. That's my take on it. And um, right now, as of now, uh, Six Hour, who that's the, that's the, the um, maker that we shoot as far as that goes, we don't have, we have 308s and 6.5 Creedmoors and then like a 277 Fury, which I would love to shoot that, honestly, but. There again, am, am, am ammunition has <laughs> been an issue. Been a real it's been issue. An issue for everybody in the last you know year plus, right? Yeah, it, it's definitely. I think there's a lot. Like when you said you're going back to a six five Creedmoor and you're going to elk hunt, it's definitely. You know, there's going to people interject their own opinions as to, man, that's a poor choice or what you know whatever it is. Um, there's so many variables to that, right? Like right distance and placement and what angle you're willing to shoot especially at a big game like an elk and what bullet you're using and how it's constructed and that's i feel that one thing that's been uh like frustrating in a way is 
people hear things and like make assumptions and there's no true like context involved or they don't have an experience with that caliber so they're gonna say oh no yeah right right right. i just like from a if i slip a 400 grain arrow through an elk it's gonna die and if I slip a 6.5 Creedmoor bullet through an elk's lungs, it's going to die. Like, right. I just don't, I, I understand that it's not going to knock it over and hit with the same force, but it's going to die. The other thing that I kind of wanted to bring up too is like when we were shooting that 308 and I did a shooting competition in Mo- uh, Montana here not too awful long ago as well. And we shot the 308s. And you won, by the way. No, not that competition. <laughs> no. <laughs> you said Montana, I was thinking the Wyoming. Yeah. yeah. No, no, not that one. And, um, but anyway, I mean, we were shooting against a bunch of pro shooters. They're shooting like six five, six point all these just yeah, PRCs. Flat shooting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was amazing, and we're shooting three oh eights, and we got a wind, and it was a long range, uh, a long range competition. And I mean, sometimes we're shooting at nine hundred and fifty yards, and I was holding. It was so much wind, I was holding like like twenty seven feet off the target to try to drift it into the target. And these guys with these six fives and stuff. They were holding just like a half a plate off the target and just cruising their bullet in there and smack it. And so it was just like night and day. And so I'm, I, what, what I'm trying to get at is like in a windy situation, hunting situation, know what you're shooting and know exactly how much that thing's going to travel. They say like the 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 drop of the bullet is, is the, um, what is the saying there, Cody? The drop of the bullet is uh the calcu- like the science yeah, behind shooting that's the and the science art and, and the art is the wind is yeah. wind and the, i mean it's a game changer just with you know obviously all of us as bow hunters with experience know the value of a laser rangefinder but you know we started using the last couple of years binoculars with the rangefinder built in and not only is it giving you range but the binoculars know your rifle your ammunition how it's performing and so it literally gives you your hold right, right. so yep. being able to not only get a range and say, okay, that's 430, but also have that system for your specific rifle and ammunition tell you, you know, it's 3.6 MOA or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Distance in that sense, like you said, that's the science part and it's the wind is the massive variable. Right. And you can do so many things like, you know, we have kestrels and stuff like that, that you can measure wind, but it's, you know, you've got a canyon, you've got two different ridges that come this way and that. We had some, at that shoot, it was unbelievable because all the wind down this one canyon was going one way. Well, there was one target that was beyond the ridge line of the, and it actually drifted the bullet so much the other way because the wind currents were coming totally different. And it was just a, a real, real trippy kind of like, okay, you kind of went, okay, we're going to, we're going to account for this much wind when it wasn't even, it wasn't even a factor at the longer ranges because it was behind originally. It was so crazy, but, and that's where it's like, you really get to see if that was an elk or an animal, I would have wounded the heck out of it yeah, you know? yeah, or missed yeah. completely. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just a different deal as far as what, I mean, since we're on this long range topic, like where do you guys feel the ethics side of, of life lie with, with I, long range shooting with, yeah. you know, as a bow hunter, I used to shoot animals at 90, 100 yards. I shot all the time. I was very, very accurate. I don't do that anymore because I don't shoot like I used to. Right. I'm not competing in 3D tournaments all the time and shooting five days a week. I'm more 70 yards now. I say is my 60, 70 is my max that I feel comfortable with. Um, And as a rifle hunter, so I don't want to be too quick to judge somebody else's skills that I don't have, right? Like, you know, maybe someone a thousand yards is like me shooting 300. I don't know. 
but the little bit of experience I have shooting long distance is that wind variable. And it's, I don't know how, I mean, I'm sure some guys can get good, but it's still a guess. And it's, 100%. it's 20, 30, 40 inches of wind drift 100%. that I just don't know how you shoot a thousand yards unless it is dead calm and flat ground. But if you're in the mountains and I just don't know how you do it ethically. Yeah. yeah. There's like some ranges too where literally time of flight matters, right? Like you, your bullet is in the air for a while and even an elk taping, taking one step is like a good amount of movement, right? Yeah. So these extreme distances, that's another factor that's, that levels the playing field for everybody. I don't care how good you shoot, that, that animal variable of movement is a real thing at extreme ranges. Um, Coriolis. Same with, the, yeah. same, with yeah. bow, same with the bow, too. True. Yeah, yeah. 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 One, same thing. One thing that's, you know, there's 80-yard there's shots with a rifle, that I would be more concerned taking than some 350-yard shots with a rifle, right? And it's the same way with a bow. It's like, what's your heart rate like? What's your position like with a rifle? How steady are you? Are you using a front rest? Are you offhand? Are you using an improvised rest like over a tree branch? Like there's all these variables that you have to consider in realistic hunting situations. And I think that's why, you know, the practice is important. That's why you gotta get in the mountains and, and get away from a bench and even get away from shooting prone and really put yourself in positions where, you know, I do it at the range quite a bit where I'm sitting and shooting, you know, how my pack stood up, right? Yeah. And then you're shooting off your pack with it vertical or kneeling or, you know, leaning against something because that definitely changes things. That's where we've had a ton of fun lately, just after going to a couple of these competitions, because every single stage that you go to, like there'll be a stage with like those big spools that hold a, like wire, like big wire. And so, and there'll be teetery spools and you have to shoot off these spools, you know? So your gun has to be rested on the spool when you shoot and just different stuff like that. And like you said, there'll be like a hula hoop. Your whole body has to be inside that hula hoop to in, for, in order for you to break the shot, you know, and you're shooting at 600 yards and you're all cocked around with your knees, you know, all Indian style with your pack over your, you know, in your, in your armpits. And it was a really learning, you know, obviously in a shooting scenario, you're going to try to find a better at an animal, obviously, right. but it really made you like, okay, like the closest shot on the whole match was, I think it was 242 yards, but you're shooting that offhand. That's all offhand shooting. So mm -hmm. it's like, it really pushed us to really kind of think outside the box. And then when we came back home, we're setting up our own stages now, like getting up on a landing and then going and placing steel or doing shooting at rocks at different and then timing ourselves. That was another thing like, okay, you have to dope the, dope the shot, dial, figure out when, and you've only got this much time to do it all in. And, yeah. and that's what's made it kind of fun, you know, a big like competition a little bit just between ourselves. It's been. And, and I think so too, like fun. the ethics come in is like, What's more ethical? A guy that's shot a lot, knows equipment, can you know knows precision on what to dial for, versus a yeah. guy that pulls out the gun right before opening day, shoots at one time at 100 yards at a milk jug. Yep, I'm on, and then takes a 400 yard shot at an animal. Right. Yeah, and that's you know, right. Like, oh, hold the foot over its back. You yeah. Know, like and what, that same guy he's maybe on on social media, you know, bashing the dude that just kills him at a thousand. Right. Right. Yeah. The, so the, I mean, I think that there's yeah, it's just. It's it's definitely like all about I think what you said is like not judging someone's abilities that you don't have right. per se or perspective. Right. Um, the worst your, parts. What's your take on effective range? You know, I mean, like me personally, where I feel comfortable is like every time that I know I can pull up and hit that gong, ten inch gong, 
at every single shot or, you know, first shot for sure, you know, for me is in that four, 450 range where I'm like, it's, a long ways. it's, yeah. it's long, but I, you know, shot more in that stuff. But when you start going shooting 700 yards, like I'm out, I don't have the, I don't have the wherewithal to make that shot every yeah. time, you know, but with practice you could. Right. Yeah, and I, exactly. I think that's the thing that we're kind of getting at too is like with practice with a bow, you know, yeah. I've always said I'm never going to shoot over 60 yards, but could I? Probably, maybe. I don't know. Depending on the scenario, depending on the wind, depending on the angle. Do, do you think your background as a bow hunter makes you a better rifle hunter versus like if you were a good rifle hunter and then coming into bow? No question. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the opposite experience, but coming from bow to rifle, I mean, I was you know, basically instantly successful. <laughs> like every rifle tag I've had, I've filled in the last three years. Uh, except for the sheep one last year, um, but so, what is what is that? I guess what it. I think what? that's a bow hunting forces you to look at animal animal behavior, how they're moving, what they're doing, forces you to pay attention to the wind, how you move through the country. Mean, yeah, I mean it's to me everything's more critical as a rifle hunter. I mean, uh, wind is. I don't even know if you have to pay attention to it unless you're still hunting through timber, right? Right, yeah. where the shots are going to be under hundred. But if you're in, you know. I'll, the places that jump into my mind that I've hunted in Idaho, like it's, you know, just go like, ah, it's in the morning. I'm not going to, thermals are going down. I'm not going to hunt down, but I'll hunt side hill. And then that's it. That's yeah, I mean, the last bull, thing I pay attention to. Yeah. The bull I killed last fall was a good example where, you know, even little things like it was that mid morning thermals were starting to switch. And we were literally, you know, trying to close the distance on a herd, much like we were bow hunting. And it was when you know thermals were dropping here and 30 yards away they were rising right based off of sun exposure and things like that and we knew we had to circle around inside hill we used a creek draw to our advantage where we knew the wind would be more consistently falling because we were below the elk and then we worked up that creek drainage and i don't you know i'm not saying that rifle hunters don't have that experience but very much felt like we were bow hunting with a rifle in our hands because right. we're in close proximity to a herd we're worried about, you know, eyes, ears, and noses, and working in that short range, circling around, trying to get on their elevation. I mean, it's all the things you do as a bow hunter to close the distance into bow range that, you know, there's some rifle hunters who just, again, not saying they haven't done it, but it's not as common to have to rely on that. Yeah, I've just approached rifle hunts like I'm bow hunting, but then just yeah. use open spaces to my advantage, right? And to me, that's yeah. been what's been so much fun. It's like... Yeah. I don't know if I'm using the right word, but you kind of feel invincible. You're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got this. <laughs> Confidence you know, is high. I, one, yeah, I love having range finding binoculars for rifle hunting. I haven't used them at all for bow hunting. Right. But you know, you're constantly in your glass, and and I'm just ranging, even if not an animal. Like, oh, that hillside, you know, that's 400 yards. Something's in range there. It's gonna die. Right. You know, as you, right. As I'm, I can do we're that. like dropping down before he killed Mark's bull last year dropping down this finger and there's two fingers each side of us and both of them were in range so it was like even though we're going after this bull we're full-on paying attention right like because if an elk's right here it's dead uh, what so you drew a sheep tag this year i did yeah. yeah drew a sheep tag this year yep and you just told me yesterday you're gonna rifle hunt there's no way you're giving a chance to bow <laughs> yeah where where's the where's the mindset on that as far as like where does where does this jump off factor of throwing the bow down and picking up the rifle? Where does that start? Is it in difficulty of the hunt? Is it in have to be successful? Is it in what does that look like? Yeah, uh, for this specific hunt, I drew a, a 
bighorn sheep tag in the Frank Church Wilderness in Idaho, and it's it's just commonly known as you know one of the tougher hunts in the West, right? Like yeah. low success saw, low success percentage, um, and guys are gonna spend you know 15, 20 days in there before they get their opportunity. Um, it's just a, and it's rough, big, rugged country. So that one, I, I didn't even bow didn't even cross my mind. No. Uh, I mean, there's been people that have done it. Don't get me wrong. I just um, for me this time in my life the kids at home works busy it's like i just need to minimize my days out there as, as much as possible um on other hunts i think mark and i talk about this all the time about identifying predetermining what you want a hunt to be going into it so am i there to kill an elk as fast as possible and get elk meat in the freezer uh, and get back home am i there to have a really good time like we were to all go on an elk hunt and be like, to me, more casual, like, let's just have fun. Yeah. Um, am I there for some hunts? I just want like a really physical challenge. Um, and so maybe that is, yeah, bow hunting and hiking in some stupid distance because I, I get a lot of satisfaction reward out of the harder the hunts or the, the harder hunts are the most memorable for me. Um, Wouldn't so having to a me, bow in your hand be even harder? Uh-huh. Yeah, for on the sheep hunt, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like, if that one's already hard enough, that was, the, the that deck was stacked the against me. Difficulty. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna go with the rifle. Um, so I just, you know, I'm more, uh, yeah. Pre, there was a lot of years there was just all about success. Right? I just right. wanted to be a successful hunter, and now it's like, okay, I've turned the page to where it's like, I, I know I can be consistently successful. What's how much fun can I have on this hunt? Right, like, I, same as as being a uh, you know, bow hunter, snobby bow hunter looking down on rifle hunters. I was also like the guys that didn't hunt hard. I was like, ah, hey, you lazy, you know, like, come on, hunt hard. And now I'm like, God, you know what? Those guys were just having fun, like getting up in the woods and having fun and going camping with right. their buddies. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like if you're obeying the laws and hunting legally, I don't care how you hunt anymore. Like what, cause hunting's different for everybody. Heck yeah. And that's, and I do that now. Like going into a hunt i'm like all right this hunt we're just gonna have fun i don't care if we kill something or not it's just about having fun we'll sleep in we'll drink whiskey at night and then right. and then the next hunt two weeks later is like backpacking in 10 miles intense you know like it's like you're playing a chess match chasing a high country buck or something right it's focused all the time and so yeah where's your cody where's your where's your pick up the rifle um i mean if i had a choice like obviously okay you got a tag in Oregon per se. Like I, I was sitting at the point where I had the points to draw any good rifle tag or draw a bow tag, and I chose a bow tag for elk. Like that, that, like overall, I'm probably going to lean further onto the bow side of life. But like what Steve's point is, is like there's only certain opportunities that you can get done in September and it's a smaller calendar window. And so maybe family things go on. Like I have no qualms going on a October, November rifle hunt for elk or, you know, and deer, I've kind of got my butt kicked so many years. It was like kind of frustrating to not kill a, you know, late season blacktail. It was like, felt really good to finally kill one of my bigger bucks, you know, and like have that experience and fill a tag and it, yeah, it was it was super rewarding. I mean, I like I've never like looked down or done anything, but I always like ah, it's not for me. And I really do enjoy the opportunity. It's just more, it's different. It's the learning phase again. You know, I think I think we've all kind of gone through the cycle of picking up a bow and hunting with a bow. Like we've not tapped out where we're at, like as far as, but it's 
it's familiar and it's it's easier. So something new in the rifle side of it is is really I I enjoy that like new challenge, new trying to figure it all out. You draw a sheep tag once in a lifetime, state of Oregon. I will take both, and I would try with a bow, and you know like assess the situation. If it's like we spot a ram that's like that is not in a stockable spot, but that's a ram I want to kill. I would not be like disappointed that I had to shoot it with a rifle or I shot it with a rifle. Do you think that's changed in the last five, 10 years? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. What made that change? Um, I think kind of Steve's aspects, like not judging myself on it, like not thinking that it's a lesser and I, I never really looked at it being a lesser accomplishment, but I kind of felt maybe that it was, but now that I've done it, I don't see that being the case. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't be as excited if you shot it with a gun, whereas if previously, yeah. But I mean, when when, yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't have a ton of rifle experience in killing. I've killed a couple bucks last year with it, and both were like super exciting, totally different scenarios. Um, you know, one by myself versus one in a big group, but it was like. Both of them were awesome, you know, I, I was jacked, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so. Mark? Uh, part of the appeal of rifle hunting to me, I mean, I enjoy shooting and not reloading and all that stuff, but it's, it's creating more opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd love to go chase elk with my bow in September and then also have an opportunity in October to go chase elk with a rifle, right? So it's like... Yeah. If I don't have to pick, I don't want to pick. I want to do everything. I want to do both. Like those certain instances where you have the opportunity, uh, like the trips I've had to Alaska where it's like you can take a bow or rifle, you can do whatever you want. Um, so far, I've done those with a rifle for several reasons. I mean, even group dynamics come into play. Like our caribou hunt, for example, is my first trip to Alaska. Um, Did you, you guys rifled that? Yeah, yeah, we rifled that. That was, a, that was like we've got. A one-week hunt and, and seven six tags, guys. six yeah. tags to fill. Six tags. Seven so it's like tags, from an efficiency right. level, if I was there by myself <laughs> for a week yeah. to <laughs> hunt for me, well, some I guys brought bows. Bow. Oh, so did. we're like, all right, and we're like, I had no problem packing a rifle. Mark didn't either. And yeah. it's like uh, to fill all these tags, we'll you know bounce yeah. back and forth. A little so bit. yeah, if you ha- it, to me, it's like a big opportunity. Whether it's a, a tag you draw or what have you, the time factor. Like if you can take the time and have the time and. You know, not be selfish, but you're hunting by yourself, especially, or you're the only tag holder, or what have you. I'd love to take the time and try to get it done with a bow when you can. Right. But if you have six tags to fill in six to seven days on a trip to Alaska, I'd well, the cool thing is record. like there's still some states, Wyoming, Montana. You depending on the unit and the draw and all that, you can archery hunt it yep. in early season, and then late season you can rifle on it. That's and perfect. You know, you have the opportunity to go back. Trent's done that before. He went back to Wyoming after not filling in, in September and killed a bull. You know, and I think that's kind of one of those things. Like, if you're solely a bow hunter, like, you would not have killed that bull. You would not have filled the tag no. in Wyoming. The opportunity and, is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, and there's a whole, you know, I mean, like I said, calling a bull, screaming in with a bow, incredible, right? Cool. Last year when we were in Montana... We we got a rifle hunt for elk like after we deer hunted for a couple of days and I I well I was in an area that I could deer hunt or elk hunt and I cut tracks elk tracks in the timber and for 
three hours, four, it took maybe like almost four hours. I cut these tracks, followed these tracks. And then all of a sudden, like I smell them. I'm in fresh tracks. Like so I know at one point, like it's going to be game on. And I finally got up, broke over this ridge and I hear elk and I get to a spot. I it, All these elk come out 80 yards and I'm just like, it was all cows. There's, you know, I thought I, I saw some bull tracks early on and they split off and I could never catch up to them. But I had a herd of elk at 80 yards and like, I was je- like, I was so excited Jacked. about that. Yeah. I filmed it all and I'm like, oh man, if there was just a bull here, it would have been super rewarding. Like as much as calling a bull in by yourself, killing the bow. Like I, yeah. there was no I doubt. Totally like agree. the sense of a hunter is like, I felt like the predator of like, sneaking stalking figuring out where they're going okay looking looking on onyx okay they're gonna there's some like in this country it was like all timber and then it it butted up to some private timber lands that had a clear cut in there i'm like if i'm gonna get a chance it's gonna be probably in that zone and that's exactly where they're at and it was it was exciting like i was i was excited yeah awesome i was super spoiled i mean last year my only rifle hunt but it was full-on september action like bull screaming working a herd and we first spotted them from i don't know how far away mile a mile away <laughs> yeah and then ended up shooting them at 70 80 yards That's like so full cool. screaming bull so it's like it was the full experience of september essentially with a rifle in your hand would you <laughs> would you be as jacked to bow hunt if elk didn't bugle or call yes well not as jacked I'd love but I, i'm as jacked to bow hunt mule deer and other species Right. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, but I, I'm just thinking from a standpoint of you, you know what they do, you know what they, uh, habits as far as mule deer is cool because you're up in the high country. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a different uh, kind of scenario, I would say. So elk in September, if they didn't make any noise at all, would you be as jacked to hunt them? The bugling part's just awesome. So yeah. I, the answer's got to be no, I wouldn't yeah. be as jacked. Yeah. 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 No, that's a, I was just thinking about that. Like, what if they didn't bugle at all? Would I be like, Definitely rifle hunting this thing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) The bow hunting would be tough if they didn't give themselves away. I mean, so, I mean, since you guys were all somewhat relative new, if if the listeners hear that it's only bow hunted and, you know, maybe has vacations tight next year, they, they can't squeak in a September hunt, like what would be the steps or encouragement for them to take the first step on a rifle hunt? What would you suggest? I mean, buy a gun, start shooting, and just go do it. I, it's, yeah. it's pretty simple to me. Um, yeah, because it's fine. If you're going to have fun doing it, I guarantee it. Like, just even the process of buying the gun, dive into calibers. And I mean, that's a, you could do months of research on that if you wanted to. It's, I, it's just been fun. So, um, yeah, I think like a, a goal for me as a hunter is just to be a very well-rounded hunter. I don't want to just be good at killing elk or just mule deer or anything like that. And adding rifle to that arsenal just gives more opportunity for that and, and just a different weapon and being proficient in a lot of different ways. And it's it's been a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. yeah. I think what you said, Cody, about 400 yards, 450 yards is very achievable for guys, uh-huh. right? Like, yeah. With technology now, totally. With technology, you know, ballistics of things, like it's a very doable. And I think I wouldn't encourage anyone to set that as their limit if they don't practice there. But I think anyone can do that if they put in some time and have. Yeah, in a relative short order. Relative short order. You know, you could. And so, yeah, I would encourage that guy like Newdale Cunning, like have some capabilities out to 400 that 
you have true confidence in like you've been there you've done it you've tested like all the stuff we're talking about shooting off a pack different positions do all that stuff from a tactics perspective I, I don't think you have to necessarily change a ton like I think you do need to be aware of like situations you were talking about tracks in the snow and obviously probably a little bit more reliant on glass and things like that at times and not so much calling but the base knowledge you have as a bow hunter on how to locate elk and all that don't feel like that's gonna be thrown out the window either right, right? like use your strength and then just try and add some to that versus thinking you got to start over i was just trying to think of like some of the best hunters i know Dan Bowers probably that have mm -hmm. killed yeah. giant blacktails and elk can go anywhere and hunt yeah. our rifle hunters. Uh, Lampers, same yeah. guy, I mean, same kind of thing, just a straight up killer. And it's like, I don't know, you know, they dabbled, they also have bow hunted and everything, but they're just killers and kill big, big animals, which I'm not saying that's the ultimate goal all the time, but at the same time, it's it's the some of the better hunters I know are rifle hunters, really. Yeah, and two, like, I think, for us, what really prompted the rifle was spring bear opportunities. I would agree. You know, but out of state, uh, like in Oregon, and, and we've Idaho's got a great spring bear opportunity, Montana. Um, and that's a cool time to get out in the woods and see, like, the landscape looks totally different in the spring than it does in the fall. It's the new life starting, coming out of hibernation and, you know, plants and flowers. And it's just another different experience. And very, you know, I mean, spring bear is challenging to kill with the bow. Um, it's, it can be done, it but is. it's it's enjoyable with a rifle in your hands. And it extends your season, you know, another thing to extend your season, right? Yeah. Another thing to be out in the woods more and mm -hmm. be out in nature. Become a well-rounded hunter like Steve Speck. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, just, uh, just he's just dripping with the, with the variant of just being the best all-around hunter probably in the country. Probably. Yeah. yeah. World. 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 Yeah, let's not stop there. <laughs> we, need, we need to get yeah. him on a turkey hunt. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Just real quick, what is your take on turkey, Steve? Uh, I haven't done it since college. It's been 15 plus years since I've hunted turkey. It was fun then. It was fun. We had like, um, just it was really good public land where it was just turkeys everywhere. Um, probably comparable to good private land. Just Cody's got everywhere. some was, pretty darn good yeah, it was public land dial. It was fun, man. It was like, I mean, the you know, freaking calling them in and running around. and But we, were, we used to pack like a double blind, so we'd try to set it up real quick and throw the decoys out and then call them in. And running trying to do it with like, a bow. With like, no decoys is awesome. Yeah, like, yeah. You have to get that set up just right to where that bird's going to come in. And, yeah. I, you know. That's we, how I've done it on the 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They come in, they see the decoy, they're not focused on you, and you just blast them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, if it was like, if turkey season was in September, it's like, uh, no, I'm not turkey hunting. I'm chasing out. No? Yeah. That's the bull of the spring, Cody. Bulls the of the bull spring. Of the spring. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> we, we, we had the grand question last year during turkey season that it was like, all right, if you could only hunt one thing the rest of your life, would it be um, a turkey the size of an elk? Or an elk the size of a turkey. <laughs> Could you imagine, imagine the like, turkey the size of an elk? Yeah, yeah, like a velociraptor walking around, you know. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going with have to go the feather on that thing would have to be giant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. 
man. And the gobble, and when they drum, just oh, shake your chest. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see the fly down, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have treat. to use a bigger beaten wing. You see yeah. that beaten wing? Oh, yeah. shoot. No, it, I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I... I so getting back to like the rifle versus bow things, and is there any other, um, I don't know, tips, maybe tactics for people that want to get in that, th- what I feel about it, honestly, is like the technology in bow hunting, let's say, man, let's just say 10 years, rifle hunting has just been like, I mean, even back growing up for me, we did, there was no range finders even really, so it was like, well, you missed. Aim a little higher in the yeah. next shot. Just go a little higher. And, and now it's just so much. Same with the bows, right? They've gotten such good technology. I mean, they have pins that actually can read your, you know, the that Garmin site, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. That, oh, right. can, dial, that yeah. can dial for you pretty much. And, and um, anyway, but where does technology go too far in the in the hunting side of things? Mark? Oh, yeah. Just throw me at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously everybody's going to have different opinions, right? There's, I just want to you hear know, yours. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel like... I don't feel like I've personally pushed that limit myself where I've had to face that, if that makes sense, right? I don't feel like I'm using anything that I've kind of considered. Um, there are rules, you know, things like uh, in Idaho, for example, it's illegal to have electronics in your scope. And on one hand, that can affect things like SIG's BDX system. But on the other hand, that can affect uh, an, illum- an illuminated reticle, for example. Right. Sure. So there's like technology pieces like an illuminated reticle that I don't think give you some sort of unfair advantage. And that's, I think, where I run up against things anti-technology that in the end, uh, like glided knocks is an example to stick with archery it can help people recover animals that they have shot. It's not making the hunt, you know, too technical or unfair or giving the hunter too many uh, tools, right? right? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like a GPS tracking. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. too far. Uh, what do you mean by GPS tracking? There was like, uh, in I the can't knock. remember the name. Breadcrumbs. Bread, yeah. I think something like yeah. that. They had it in the knock. Yeah. And a Bluetooth to your phone, so that would actually you could track your arrow to me the the whole technology piece to me is silly because i don't honestly want to use any more technology than i have to right (laughs) right especially hunting like in a backcountry situation i want things to be as simple as possible to have fewer electronics and fewer batteries and fewer all of that stuff so i just personally haven't considered a lot of stuff like that or thought much about it you know to me the the capabilities of a rifle that can allow hunters to take game at distances that are pretty extreme the system's capable and that's what to me is dangerous is people not understanding that the capabilities of the system and the capabilities of the shooter are two drastically different things when it comes to a rifle and so that's where it's it's up to the shooter's responsibility to understand what are their capabilities because i've I've been there and done that and shot at 800 yards and 1,000 yards, and I have first-round hits, like we were talking about, at 800 or whatever. But that doesn't mean I'm going to go do that because I've right. done it first round. And I've there's at home, we have a range I shoot with a buddy, and it has a target at 770. And in most, like, I would probably say eight or nine out of ten times that I go shoot there, that's the first thing I do is take a cold bore shot at that, and I probably hit it eight or nine times out of ten it's cold really bore. but 
doesn't mean I'm going to do it, right? Like, because I'm sitting there. (laughs) No, I'm, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm prone and (laughs) all that stuff. So, yeah, it's a, you know, it's an endless kind of conversation. You mentioned the SIG BDX system and it's interesting. And it's been like, I've asked the question of like, why? Because they shut it off at, they cap it at 800 yards. Mm-hmm. It won't work after 800 yards unless you go through a bunch of different modes and, and different stuff and like that. But on the normal SIG BX, um, on the app and everything, you click, if it's 801, it won't give you a hold in your scope for it. And it's like, who should make that call, right? Well, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. like their argument is like, at that point is when atmospherics come really, in, correct. Yeah, really come into play. Come into and play. so like that system doesn't cover it. So they don't feel... They're giving a true solution. The true act, true, true solution. Correct. Yeah, yeah. ballistic solution. But. but it's interesting, you know, to yeah. think about. It's no, like interesting. It's, is that, should that be my call? Should that be their call or that, you know, it's just yeah. a different thing to think about, you know, and, yeah. it, and it comes back to ethics. And I, I think you guys made a great point as far as like, you know, I can shoot that far, but it doesn't mean I'm going to at an animal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also looking like, where's your energy fall off? You know, where, where's the bullet just fall apart? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, one thing that's been interesting to me, you know, growing up shooting rifles, but not taking a deep dive into like advanced ballistics and reloading and all that stuff until the last handful of years is no matter who you listen to, there's quick quote unquote experts, even on that debate alone on, I've seen that over here, Steve, you get guys who are in the school of thought where they look at minimum kinetic energy, right? So they'll throw around numbers of like, oh, it has to be 1,500 foot-pounds per elk. Um, and whatever that number is, people put a lot of stock in the energy numbers. Yeah. But then there's a completely other school of thought where like, yeah, the energy doesn't matter. It is what is the minimum expansion velocity of that bullet, that specific projectile. And right. So then other guys will say, no, this bullet expands at, you know, down to 1,600 feet per second. And it may only be carrying 980 foot pounds of energy but the bullet's gonna expand so it's worked so there's all there's so many debates in the rifle right. world. that's where right. like that 6.5 creed it's hard to beat it for i mean for all for muzzle velocity but also for just the bcs of the bullet it's what pretty it amazing yeah. over like a 300 wind mag or something of that nature yeah. it really holds together it's really yeah, you, really you well. dive into the ballistics of a 6.5 prc and it's impressive at Six long because awesome. it's launching the same bullet 300 feet per second faster it's it's, it's crazy. impressive yeah. but yeah um jumping back to technology for me it's there's this interesting debate of like i'm in idaho so we're like fixed blade broadheads versus mechanical Oregon's the same almost the same almost. yeah so one, one click ahead now i've always yeah. shot fixed blades but i and you know i basically i owned an archery shop and tuned bows for a lot of years and um guys the to me the question is are we better off with a broadhead that won't fail and guys that have very poor accuracy with that or are we better off with guys basically shooting very accurate arrows with broadheads that may fail, right? Like, what, to me, I think yeah. you could argue still field point through the lungs is going to kill it versus a broadhead through the guts, a fixed blade broadhead through the guts. I, there, to me, it's an interesting topic, right? Very interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, like, I think the vast majority of bow hunters would be better off with expandables. And I, I, I don't know what the percentages are, but I would guess there's less wounded elk problem is do guys now feel more capable do they feel more confident even though they shouldn't to shoot further because they're shooting these better groups right do they Mm -hmm. do they have a self-governor that says okay i'm shooting fixed fixed blades i should only shoot 50 oh i got an expand well now i can shoot 80 that's like that's where it gets really sticky and then the same thing with rifles like if i'm all for technology that 
increases my accuracy at 400 yards and my chance of a hit. But then guys are going to naturally go, well, if I can do that at 400, then I could shoot 800, right? Um, and when they shouldn't be. So it's it's really sticky. You know, I kind of like what SIG does with that, frankly. There you right. go. It's, yeah. That's just it, the personal responsibility and, yes. and yeah. actually that's, holding yourself accountable for that's that. That's just half yeah. of the state of the nation. You know? it, yeah. 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 yeah, that's 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 a whole different... That's It's crazy because it's like a chip shot, right? For some of these guys that were shooting that, that I was shooting at the competition. I mean, these guys were 1,200 yards and like a, it was about a nine mile an hour wind and they were hitting it almost every shot. And I'm like, yeah. how is that even possible? When I was with a 308 arcing them in there, just like, <laughs> how far was I off that time? <laughs> didn't even see it. Most time, didn't see it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm just like, have dang you, it. Have you guys shot in pairs where a spotter, you guys have worked as a mm-hmm. team spotter, yeah, shooter? Game changer, so, yeah. like seeing misses, and that. Yeah. I mean, that even like going back to cartridge caliber debates. That's a huge benefit to shooting not more caliber than you have to. Like, so you you know, a guy who shoots a big magnum and isn't going to shoot it much, and maybe doesn't know how to control the rifle well in terms of recoil. Yeah, maybe better off with something smaller, not only because he's you know less prone to flinch and things like that, but essentially staying in the scope and seeing your misses matters and there's there's guys who say well yeah that only matters if you are shooting six seven eight hundred yards but i would argue no it matters because you could shoot a bullet 200 yards and if you can stay in the scope better and be back on target quicker you're gonna have that follow-up much quicker right so things like that get overlooked in the whole discussion um, of being really efficient uh, with a rifle even yeah no i think that's that's a great point Staying in the scope has been a huge, huge, like, I would always pull the trigger and just pull my head up like, did I get him? Did I, you know, did I, you know, and that's been uh, just a huge discipline to keep your head down and to really follow that trace and try to pick up that splash or wherever, wherever it's at. It's been, it's, it's been tough as far as that goes, but it's, that's, what's been a lot of fun of the learning side of things and, Mm -hmm. and doing that definitely. And I think, I mean, the. Pat Trent's back, you know, in the in the last six months of what, you know, when he he found out he's going to do the Sig Hunter games, like he put his mind to it, spent a ton of time behind the gun, went to a lot of different people, had a lot of experience, picked their brain and try to like understand why and what everyone's doing, and then kind of like has developed his own shooting system that really was cool to see when he rolled in. You know, you talked about the first match in Montana and it was pretty humbling oh, yeah, and then and then going into the next match shooting a six five you know there there was a definite difference in your confidence level high and you got top shooter both days out of, i don't know how many people like it was a what are some it, of the takeaways Trent, from that journey come on my biggest takeaway was and cody kind of mentioned it a little bit too is i did i went and shot with like james nash and and uh, some of the Peter, I went down and, and shot with them at that big competition. Um, Peter Howell, great, great shooter. And they each taught me different things. It might have even been the same stuff, but I learned differently from them. And I, w- I would say it, that's that's one thing. Is like, And it goes back to ethics, right? Everybody's range, longest range is probably different. Everybody's you know comfortability, quote unquote, is probably different. But I took all that stuff from different people and put it into what, how I wanted to kind of shoot. And then, and then it goes from that into like a team thing. So you guys talked about shooting as a team. 
Trevor and I have kind of been shooting as a team a little bit, and you start to actually, it's, it's the same kind of thing when we elk hunt. Like, if it's me and Cody and Steve and Trevor, we know each other's movements. We know ex- what the guy's going to do, what if he's going to move forward, when he's going to call. We know exactly what your role is in the situation. In the situation, yeah. And so it's kind of taken that whole side of things and put it into a rifle situation where we're starting to get to where it's just like, did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. The splash was half a frame off. I need to hold over, you know, whatever, half a minute or whatever it might be. And so it's, it's kind of fun because it's a whole new kind of team aspect of the of shooting and and it's not you know bow hunting i think like for what i've noticed with trent it's developed the process versus just like pull up and range and then get down and get in the gun and do all that it is like a step-by-step process from the beginning to end doesn't matter like every time you come to acquire a target it's in that same routine and then it's the everyone knows their roles right as a spotter yeah he's he's given wind call he's he's going through that function as shooter your function is to know your dope, be in the gun, ready, yep, send it. And um, and then the communication factor, using those same words every single time. So when it, you know, he talks frame, you know, some people are like, well, what's frame? Instead of saying 10 inches, you're taking a reference of the target. You know that that target, you have a given deal. Instead of saying, oh, that's 12 inches, like you have a reference of what that is in your scope. Okay, I need to hold another frame of that over to, mm-hmm. you know and just using some of those terms and understanding that as a team is what's successful especially you know long range calling those shots and, yeah hmm. that's one thing you know we hit on like the the binoculars with range finders and ballistics built into it that's really neat is when you're hunting with somebody your binos are programmed for you and your rifle but you can easily hand those to somebody and they don't need to know what rifle you're shooting or what dope or anything like that yeah. but it's just like they're over your shoulder and they're telling you 4.3 MOA. Oh, yeah. he moved. It's 4.5 or whatever, right? And it's all calibrated to your system. They don't know anything about it, but the all data's I, there. It is a it's, readout. It's slick. It's crazy how the technology has just really, really gone to the next level. Yeah. But we good on the record, Cody. Yep. Sweet. Well, guys, what more do you want to tackle on this? Good talk. Good Let's talk. just go more... Do some rifle hunts and we'll talk again. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. That's <laughs> what like I'm it. thinking. Steve already said he was going to, what were you doing next year? Were you going to take us to Mexico? Is that oh, it? yeah. Yeah, so you, that you said that. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. 340 yeah. or bus, right? Yeah, 340 bus to New Mexico, yeah. I'll pay for that, no problem. What would be your dream rifle hunt? Dream rifle hunt? Dream rifle hunt. I always wanted to go kill a Marco Polo sheep. Um, and then I was in my, I dreamed of it. And then I, like, somewhere in my early 20s, saw the cost of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's never going to happen. What does it cost? I think it's 40 grand, 50 Is it grand. really? Yeah. It's it's not cheap. Well, yeah, it's like flying over Kyrgyzstan, Kyrgyzstan or whatever. Or yeah, I, I mean, yeah. What's your dream bow hunt? Hmm. Um, right now, I want to go kill a big old moose with a bow. Yeah. yeah. I've, got a, I've got like a, a customer friend of mine sent me a picture he took of a beautiful picture of a moose and i hung it up in my bedroom and i see that every day and like i literally just visualize an arrow zipping through its vitals <laughs> <laughs> every time i see it i just see that arrow zipping target through its tip vitals. or broadhead what are we talking about <laughs> <laughs> mark dream uh, rifle hunt uh 
I've always kept dream hunts, like, try to be achievable, right? Like Marco Polo or pick right. something crazy exotic or go do a stone or something like that would right. be amazing. But to me, one of the more, like, achievable, quote-unquote, dream hunts is I just want to go home, hunt mountain goat. Uh, either in I'm BC same, or Kodiak, like same one, same top one. of the list. Uh, in terms yeah. of something like I'm actually going to execute, not just dream about type right. thing. Um, and honestly, I think for Bo, it probably would be moose. There's just something about that big of an animal and that encounter um, and getting close. And, and doable, right? And doable. Yeah. Doable, yeah. yeah. So to me, it, it's fun to dream about exotics or whatever, but I like to keep my... Uh, my bucket list something that i'm actually gonna do and not just think about so that's the list cody um dream rifle well we kind of we we talked about the i don't even know if it's feasible to bow hunt so i know it is rifle is go over to mongolia or, or uh, kazakhstan for the morales those asian asian elk or asian you're not allowed to bow hunt them i know because there's like it's yes and no i don't know i know in russia you can't have a bow or bring a bow in and it, like you come in through that so but you can bring a gun or you have to do... yeah no yeah it's weird super weird um and i've never any of the information i've ever seen is nothing with bow hunting it's always rifle but they're bugling and you've got a gun in your hand like pretty awesome um so that that would be one for the gun i i mean honestly too like the Kodiak blacktail that we're going to do in November is, is definitely been always on the list. I always thought it was going to, for me, the first time was going to be an August mm-hmm. alpine hunt with a bow. And so this is a, a cool thing. Are uh, you bowing it? No. Gun. You're going to rifle? Yep. Yeah, because we're also going to shoot ducks and fish on that trip. And catch crab. And catch crab. So, of course, yeah, wouldn't you? It's yeah. like the fin feather fur, right? Yeah. yeah. Do yeah, that. Um, for bow get an Arizona elk tag in like one of the top units yeah. like that. I, um, mm. just to be in a place where it's just the most insane, unbelievable elk hunt in my life. I have a bow in my hand. That was pretty that, special. That, with that, yeah. I mean, Steve's tag was, yeah. it was definitely like a hunt of a lifetime in that. How, how does that change for you? If I, you know, I, I know you guys like a 320 bull walks in, but you're in a unit, you're supposed to kill a 350, 360 bull. Like it didn't, I, I mean, for uh, like, I wasn't a tag holder, so I didn't have the pressure per se, or like the decision-making factor of it. For us, it was freaking awesome. So it's like, well, that was cool. We got to go see that. We got to experience it. We didn't kill it. Let's go on to the next one. Cause we don't know what the next one's going to be. Like there was no let zero letdown from our aspect of calling and being there and filming. Yeah. Um, I think tag holder might be a different scenario like that. That definitely could, you know, wear on a guy of like, ah, am I making the wrong choice by not shooting that? And I think at the overall of it, it's like you just have to have the expectations of like, if you're after the biggest bull of your life, you may not kill a bull yeah, on tag that tag. Too. And, you know, is that, are you okay with that? Or, you know, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. We may face some of that this year, you know, what Steve and I have for tags. It'll be really interesting. And, and honestly, you think, I mean, especially in hunting in a group, I think like we have been for most of our adult lives you know and and the same group that we have we've always been saving up these points there's something honestly in the back of my mind that says is this good or bad you know is this going to go this could either go really 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 awesome or or it could go kind of bad i mean honestly because we've always been opportunistic we never passed up anything in our lives and then you get to this whole thing well how big is that you know and and 
then it's like, okay, well, you know, you only have one tag. Are you going to shoot it? Or are you going to not shoot it? And then it's, you know, as like in Steve's, in, in Steve's scenario last year or year before last, it was like, don't let me shoot anything under 320. Well, who's, you know, how am I? <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know, you know? Yeah. And it just went, it just kind of was, I'm not saying it went bad at all, but at the same time, there was definitely some emotions there that we'd never dealt with before. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a big tag, it's different. Yeah. It's, it's totally different. So mm. that's why I have a big tag with a gun. <laughs> 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 then we can really look it over instead of going, it's coming in at 40 yards, crest, the, now. crest the tree line. Ah! Maybe, maybe. So, no, this has been awesome, guys. Well, there you have it, guys. That's a wrap on this one. Steve and I are actually headed out to go fill some elk tags with our rifles. Hope that you guys are also having a great season with some other hunts continuing to come this fall. Don't forget about the EXO experience where you can share your photos with us and win some great prizes. This month in October of 2021, we're giving away a quilt from our friends at Catabatic Gear. As I've said prior, my Catabatic quilt is truly my favorite piece of backpacking gear, and I'd love for you to have a chance to win one. So go to exomountaingear.com forward slash experience and learn more on how to get entered. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions for the show, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com, and we'll talk to you soon.